Raiders Daily with Jason Mertides. Happy to have uh, join us right now on Flyers Daily, the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, Elaine Vigneault. Elaine, uh, how are you making out during this pandemic and uh, staying healthy? Yes, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm like everybody, everyone else. I'm following the guidelines, uh, staying safe, but trying to make sure that uh, my parents, who were uh, obviously in the senior citizens' home, uh, 84 and 86, are, are, are doing fine. Uh, that my two daughters are fine, and obviously all of our friends. Uh, you know, we're trying to stay safe, and uh, and hopefully um, at some point uh, we'll all be able to get back to uh, some form of uh, normal life. Yeah, it's, it's it's certainly not something that you can plan for or anybody plan for to have your season have the brakes thrown on like that. It's been just over a year now that uh, you've been the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, what's that year kind of taught you about Philadelphia in the time that you've been here, uh, at least prior to the pandemic? Well, you know, it's everything that uh, I expected it to be. Uh, you know, I had said at the press conference that uh, it's as close as uh, you can be to an original six. And uh, it is, it's, uh, it's, it's a great organization. It's got a, an unbelievable fan base at home and, and on the road. Uh, you know, when you go on the road, it's exactly like uh, the, those original six, Montreal and New York, that I, I both coach. You've got sort of a cult following that's there, uh, that's supportive, that's behind uh, the team. And, uh, you know, I, I felt uh, from day one coming to Philly uh, that um, I've had a tremendous amount of, of support from uh, the people that uh, uh, that love the team, and uh, you know, we've been just trying to do our job, which is, uh, you know, to make this uh, a good hockey, fun hockey to watch, winning hockey, and uh, we've tried to improve all year long. And uh, once we are able to get back at it, that's what we're going to continue to do. Elaine, uh, one of the things is you know, people notice right away in your style of coaching is uh, the accountability you hold your players to, and it doesn't matter who that player is. Uh, you did a lot of moving around of lines and juggling of combinations, both forward and defense, uh, throughout this year, but you really seem to have found uh, what works for you guys. Now that changes kind of game in and game out. Um, but for you, do you feel like the team – uh, there, was there a certain point in the season where you felt like the team really kind of got what you wanted to do and, and, and the level at which you wanted to play? Well, you know, I felt that uh, any team that's going to have success, uh, you know, is going to go through some adversity, and, and we did with, the, you know, a lot of the injuries that we had. Um, but uh, the theme about individual improvement and team improvement uh, has been there since day one and. Our players understood that and uh, understood their part, and they, you know they've done their part so far. Uh, there has been individual improvement. There has been collective improvement. Our game as a team, we're a tough team to play against. You know we can defend when it's time to defend. Uh, we've played some of our best hockey uh, in the third period when the game has been on the line, when the, when ultimate pressure has been there. So I'm happy in the direction that we're going. Um, unfortunately, you know, like everybody in the NHL, we had to stop. Uh, but I'm, I'm confident that uh, once we were able to get back at it uh, with the group that we have, with the focus and the attitude that, that we had, uh, we'll be able to, like everybody else, get back at it. And, and hopefully uh, in the amount of time that we're giving 
were given uh, to get back to um, you know the, our, our execution phase that we'll be able to to play some real good hockey again. Elaine, one of the things is you know all, you mentioned all the teams are going to be kind of in the same boat, but how do you, some teams that went into this uh, pause are going to come out and not be the team they were prior, and maybe some teams that weren't playing so great are going to come out and be a little bit better because just the way it works out for them. How do you mitigate uh, you know th- that loss in momentum of a season to to get back and be one of those teams that comes back and has an advantage because they're playing at a high level when maybe other teams are still ramping towards that? Yeah, that's a great question and. You know, I, I don't. I don't think I've got an answer for it for you because we're in. Uh, you know, the, the, this is a, a, a time uh, that that we've never seen before. But you know, I believe that you know, with the experience that we have in our players and the experience that we have in management and coaches, uh, once we're given the parameters of what we're allowed to do and and what we can do, we'll come up with a plan that's going to get this group going and get this group going in, in the right direction uh we've got some real good leadership some guys that uh you know have, have, have really wanted to assume uh, more responsibility and uh, i believe that once we know the parameters that uh, we're allowed uh, to get back at this that uh, our group's going to be fine uh, and, and speaking with a lot of the players during the pause uh, right here on Flyers Daily and uh, uh, your fellow coaches, um, how's it been for you with this coaching staff? You assembled a, a bit of a super team, if you will, with some former head coaches and Michelle Terrien and also uh, Mike Yo, also Ian LaPerriere and Kim Dillaball, part of your staff. How, how do you feel that's gone this year? Because uh, from all reviews from players and, and uh, coaches that, that you're working with, uh, everybody's got glowing reviews on, on how it's gone so far. Yeah, it's what I expected. I mean, you know, I, I, without a doubt, you know, we've got one of the most experienced staff in the league as far as head coaching experience goes. So for me, you know, that's a bonus. Those guys, uh, not only do they know the game, but uh, you know, they, they know that the, the mental aspect of of coaching and and the mental aspect of you know what players need. You combine that with. Uh, uh, Ian, who's got uh, you know over a thousand games played a, as a player, and now he's been coaching for almost, uh, I think it's seven years. A tremendous amount of experience, and, and that playing experience was which is so valid. So uh, I, I feel I put a, a great staff together when I combine that with with our conditioning guys and and our uh, with all the people that that work internal internally and real close with one another. We've got a great staff. Um, and, and it's my job as, as a head coach to utilize all those guys to their strengths, and that, that's what I, I, I think that's one of my my qualities that I have, and that's what I've been able to do in my, my past coaching experiences, and that's what I've been able to do so far here in Philly. Yeah, Elaine, uh, can you draw on the strike shortens or lockout shortened seasons, those 48-game seasons? Because you had success in those years uh, in a couple of different uh, stops in your coaching career. Can you draw on them, uh, th- those experiences in this situation in any way, shape, or form? Can that help you at all? You know, I, I think that that's going to, you know, once we know the parameters, that's, that's going to be part of what we do because we have, I've been through two of these and I also think that the world championships that, that I went to last year where, um, you know, I was able to, it's a short-term event. I was able to get that team together with our staff. Again, I had a real good staff. I think all those are going to come into 
all our experiences. We're going to put that together, and we'll be able to, to put, put a plan that's going to enable this team to, to get back to where it was. But this is, this is new territory for everyone. So I feel confident with the experience that we have, and since everybody's going to be started you know, on the same foot, like everybody in the league has been, has been staying at home and, um, you know, staying safe and, and doing their part for the, for the community and, and, and the world to stay safe. And, and once we're allowed to, to get back at it, uh, I think we're going to do our part. Sports is going to be a, a big part of people feeling, uh, you know, good about themselves and, and getting behind a team and, and feeling that energy and, and that, that emotion that comes with a team going out and, and winning games and, and uh, giving their 100% every time that they're there. Well, you'd be happy to know, uh, I just talked to Phil Myers this week for an episode, and he actually cited that uh, playing for you in the World Championships, getting ready on short turnaround, he wasn't on the original roster, was something that he's going to look at uh, in his preparation uh, should you guys get back to play. You, you guys worked hard for home ice uh, this year. Your home record is tremendous, 25-6-4 and four on the season. Um, a lot of the talk is that uh, you'll be playing at centralized locations to at least finish the regular season should the pandemic subside enough. How, how do you uh, kind of... You know, you, you love to have that home ice. You're not going to have it. It'll be neutral, and, and every team will be in the same situation. And playing in empty buildings is something these players uh, and, and you've coached uh, not done in a long, long time. Uh, how bizarre will that be, and how do you kind of, uh, you know, try and use that to your advantage? The momentum swings of a crowd uh, are not going to be there to push you. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, if that's the case, it's going to be a, a scenario that uh, – none of us has, has basically seen before. Uh, you know, our fans have been outstanding this year. Um, hopefully we can get to play in, in front of them soon. But if, if the case is neutral sites, we'll deal with the neutral sites. Our fans will be able to watch us on TV. And without, uh, without a doubt, I'm confident we're going to feel their, their positive uh, influence on our group. Yeah, you haven't played in front of no crowd since probably you played in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament in back in the, in the early seventies. For goodness' sake, right? More, more people in those stands than maybe in, in the Pee Wee tournament back then. It was in the old Colise, and there were ten thousand people. They was jam packed, so there were a lot of people there back then. Yeah, that is quite the prestigious tournament, no doubt about it. Uh, last coach for uh, question for you, Coach. Um, uh, you know, getting back, is, is there's a lot of momentum to it in regards to the NHL, and uh, they've been pretty transparent about this whole thing. But a story that came out yesterday is that Oscar Lindblom is coming down to his final treatments for Ewing sarcoma. Uh, have you talked to Oscar? How's he doing? I, I know a lot of people are thinking about Oscar, uh, not only prior to the pandemic, but certainly with the pandemic, and we're really happy to hear that uh, his final treatments are underway. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I've kept in touch like the rest of our team and, and the rest of our uh, coaches and, and management with Oscar throughout this. Uh, he's been uh, a real force, uh, positive, uh, you know, has taken his, his treatments head on. And, uh, you know, he's been he's been working hard to to get back and, and, and to playing. So he's he's only ha- has, a, uh, I, I think, to my, to my uh, recollection, one more set of treatments to go through he feels real confident the doctors feel real good about this and um you know let's keep our fingers crossed beautiful young man with a great attitude and uh, hopefully he'll be uh, around the the flyers and uh, on the ice here in the near future
That's mm, very well said. Hey, uh, Elena, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, I hope to see you soon, man. Everybody hopes the game gets back on the ice uh, as quickly as possible when all is safe to do so. And you guys can go on, uh, go on a run here and, and kind of check the box of unfinished business because I know you guys all feel that way. Thanks for doing this, and, and stay healthy, you and your family. My pleasure. Stay, stay safe. Take care. And special thanks to Elaine Vino for joining us here on Flyers Daily. And uh, the guy we're bringing in right now, we bring him in all the time. Bill Melcher joins us right now on Flyers Daily. He had a chance to speak with uh, Elaine Vino the other day as well. Anything stick out to you in particular in your conversation with Elaine? Yeah, you know, I, I thought that um, Elaine felt, you know, he, he said that he felt that as long as players get a, about two weeks of workup before camp, um, you know, on ice workouts in small groups and then ability to, to hit the gym as they as they would he felt that a, a good solid two-week camp and you know, he, and they might have, you know we've heard three weeks we've heard two weeks for a training camp but he felt that two weeks would be sufficient as long as players do get that that run-up time and um you know he, he felt that you know he felt that the team can get back to the level it was at at the time of the stoppage and said quite rightly that you're nobody's going to start from that that uh you know that level of play but it's you know it's everybody's responsibility to get there as, as quickly as they can. And the other the other thing too that I thought Av said that was interesting is that and he didn't want to go into any specifics because nobody knows what the parameters are going to be at this point. But I asked him, um, you know, when he was heading into the season, I asked about the goaltending rotation, and, and he said that well there there's going to be plenty of work for both goalies. But as you get into the playoffs, you would like to identify one guy by the, by that point. And I asked him, well, you know given the length of the stoppage and, and um, it'll depend on the number of regular season games that are scheduled. You're not going to have a situation where you can really get a lot of guys, both, you know, a lot of work for both guys. Or you, does that, does that plan change at all? And he, and he, you know, he conceded that it might, but you know, he'll have to see what the parameters will look like. And, you know, and then of course he, he said that uh, he's confident that no matter what situation they, they end up with, they, the goaltending will, continue to be a, a, a positive point for the team but uh yeah i mean that's that's something too that, that needs to be figured out for every team really you know because uh, you're one injury away from having to go to your other guy and if he hasn't had work in you know months literally months it, it's a you know difficult situation so you have to get work for both guys and you know that, that's part of the reason you know part of the advantage i guess in rescheduling some regular season games but that's uh, you know that that's something that I that I'll be interested in keeping an eye on as as they would get into hopefully into getting into play. Yeah, and if they are able to con- you know finish up the 189 regular season games league wide uh, that they missed at, at at a neutral location or centralized location, whatever you call it, um, you're still jockeying for the, I guess a home ice in some way, shape, or form because maybe when we get to to the round of. Uh, in the playoffs, maybe it's not the first round, maybe in the second round, you start to play in your home building. Uh, I'm not suggesting in front of fans because I don't know if that would be even plausible at this point to think that. But um, you never know how these things can change. And, and obviously, you still want to have the highest seed possible so you get the more favorable matchup. Although in the NHL, that's uh, th- that's more subjective than anything else or yeah. really in the matchup that you draw. So uh, I guess sure. yeah, maybe you still want to be playing good hockey heading into the playoffs under any scenario. No, for sure. You know, and that's, uh, it, you know, so much of hockey is about peaking at the right time, right? You know, had, uh, look what happened last year at Tampa Bay. Oh, really, all the, all those top seeds that went out early. But Tampa Bay just, they, they, you know, they flew through the regular season. They blew game one and they got cold at the worst possible time. And it's really all yeah. about, it's really about, all about when you peak, right? Yeah. We saw that with the Capitals many years when they were the, 
best team in the regular season. You let your foot off the gas a little bit, and then you lose that momentum and that edge of play. And then these other teams that are battling to get in, Bill, we've seen it so many times that they're playing at such a heightened level and their best hockey of the year. And that other team is now trying to stand on the accelerator and, and get back to that speed and just can't do it. It's just not possible in that sport. So it makes the playoffs great. Oh, for sure. And that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's particularly, particularly in a league where there's so much parity that, you know, truly anything can happen once you're in the postseason. So get there and let the chips fall, fall, fall as they may. Yeah. And have that goaltending. You could always, yeah. you could always use that. Um, uh, one of these episodes, I want to get into this debate with you because I was having it on Twitter, uh, about the, the most important position in sports and you know where I stand on it. I mean, I'm, I've obviously got some skin in the game, um, literally. Um, but the quarterback in football versus the goalie in hockey. And it's a great debate. We'll have it on another episode. But uh, before we get to Gary Bettman speaking with NHL Network, I did want to bring up that uh, Ivan Provorov had his uh, um, his uh, media availability conference call. And a couple of things really stuck out to me, and I'm sure they're the same things that stuck out to you. First and foremost, he's skating. Um, he's in Wilkes-Barre, staying with his old billet family from when he came over, I guess when he was 14 or 15 years old from Russia. He came over way early. It's why he speaks better English than you and I. Um, but uh, he's staying with his billet family in Wilkes-Barre, and, and he's had the ability to skate. Not on a, an NHL-sized rink, but he's skating. That's a great thing for him. No, it, it definitely is going to give him you know, an advantage when, they, when the team does reconvene, really an advantage over most of the league. Um, and not only does he have you know, the, the small rink and, and the, the small private rink, uh, he, you know, he skates by himself. And it's a very, you know, he said he described the rink as being about the size of a, of a tennis court. Um, you know, I remember actually somebody brought it up on Twitter years ago. I skated at the, the rink in Springfield, PA, and that's not much bigger than a tennis court. So it's yeah. not it's not exactly skating at a regulation rink, but it is getting your feet on the ice, able to handle and shoot some pucks. And that's, you know, and, you know, uh, Ivan is, as pretty much everybody knows, he's probably the ultimate workout fanatic across the NHL right now anyway. Um, his training regimen is is insane. And, um you know, uh, I believe it was Adam Kimmelman asked him during the call, well, are, are you on a, uh, you know, are you on your in-season regimen or some, basically your off-season regimen? He said, well, it's kind of in between. And he says, he said in a, in, in a matter-of-fact way, I, I work out about six hours a day. Yeah. So, yeah. I got tired hearing that. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we know that a couple of years ago when they were in the playoffs against the Penguins and he had that, that banged up shoulder and his arm was hanging off. We know that about nine days later, he was back on the ice by himself, skating and working out already. Yeah. It's just it's just the way he is, and and it's why he doesn't tire in games, and and, and he can go and and that recovery that he has uh, to regain his air and conditioning is is second to none in the, in the entire NHL. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, he's about twenty something seconds, like twenty three, twenty four seconds. He could go again if you need him to. That's dowdy ass. Crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a special ability. And for an NHL defender where you can be out there 25 plus minutes a night and, and affect the game even more, uh, even better. But uh, yeah, good to hear him today on his uh, uh, conference call. Uh, it is the, the player profile of Claude Drew. We're going to get to that momentarily. And we're going to debate the age old question about is he underappreciated and underrated in, in the city in which he plays. But Bill, first and foremost, uh, the commissioner, uh, we're hearing more news about the return to play. We have the return to play committee, which James Van Riemsdyk is a part of. But the commissioner uh, made himself available to the NHL network, and a few things stuck out to me. And the first thing is that he, this is the quote We have a great deal of flexibility in terms of when we can start. Uh, this is in regards to next season. There's no magic for next season of starting in October, as we traditionally do. If we have to start in November or December, that's something that will 
be under consideration. Obviously, that will depend when they get back, uh, the ability to get back on the ice and finish this regular season in playoff that determines that. But they're willing to push it and have a start as late as December of next year. Does that shock you at all? It, it quite frankly does, yeah. Um, particularly being willing to push in December if they have to. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of hockey in a relatively short period of time for whatever team, you know, really, really for every, for every team that makes the postseason will have a, a you know, it'll be it'll be a different offseason than normal anyway. And the free agency period and, you know, arbitration hearings and all that are going to have to really be condensed. But just in terms of players getting ready, you know, for for next season, um, you know, they're going to have to just there's not going to be much downtime to rest. Usually players will take off a, a couple of weeks and then, you know, go get get back into some kind of training regimen and then work up to skating again and, you know, skating but then skating with intensity and then being ready for the start of camp, there's not going to be time for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see next season as to what kind of carryover effect that there is. If it does in fact start that late, it really, it really did surprise me. But the one thing that it does do on, on a positive side is it does allow a whole lot of leeway for when you, you finish the season. And it, it certainly by willing, by being willing to start that late, it certainly uh, expresses that uh, the league has a strong preference to complete the regular season. So, you know that that um, that's one thing that I certainly got out of that. And and uh, and we talked before too about how the how transparent the league has been in terms of what the current line of thinking is. So, you know that that seems to be the direction they're heading in. Yeah, and it was interesting because. Gary talked about that as well. He said, you know, our health concerns for the players they fit into two categories. One is obviously the COVID-19 and the pandemic and keeping everybody safe in that regard. But the other part of it is we don't want them playing games until they're back in game shape. So they don't go back and pull muscles or, you know, you put your, your body in a, in a stress position when it's not ready for that. That's when you can blow out a knee. That's when you can hurt other areas of your body as a professional athlete. Um, so Gary certainly cognizant of that as well. Um, and also one thing that he said is about getting the training facilities open. Um, you know, they want to get those guys back and get them back into shape and that flexibility bill. Uh, but the, the, you know, the real important thing here, uh, to, to really take from this is, you know, th- this, this willingness to get this all in is at a level that frankly, I didn't expect, uh, it's kind of surpassed my, my expectations in the committee with the players and the owners and, and, you know, the league and they, they really grabbed the bull by the horns here. And it, it seems really apparent that, Barring a major setback or this pandemic uh, going in a direction that, first of all, none of us hope or uh, a lot of people don't seem to think it will at this point, um, they're going to get this in. They're going to they're going to finish this regular season and they're going to get a playoff in and they're going to hand out this Stanley Cup and the Cup could get handed out in October. And then you turn around and play in uh, mid to late November or whatever it is for next year. It, it's amazing to me. No, to, to me as well. Um you know, it, it, it I, I'm actually surprised too. Uh, at least, at least in the regular season piece, of it. and and we all understand that the there, there's a revenue piece of it with, with television, and that drives a significant amount of it. And that you know, doing no worse than keeping the the, the uh, cap ceiling flat for next year, so it doesn't have to drop. You know, I think that uh, that certainly is a, a big motivating factor here too. And we'll we'll see if there is some kind of compliance buyout or or, or what, however they handle it, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like they that is the priority. There's a bigger, it certainly is a bigger priority to get this season finished and then worry about next season a little, little bit afterwards. And listen, you know, it, it's um, it, it's not 
it's something that should be mentioned and we'll have to see how it all plays out. But if there is a, a recurrence of COVID-19 in the fall, I mean, that can, that can affect things too. And I think they're taking things one thing at a time as they come. And I think that, that to some degree also plays into, you know, a desire to get this season finished too, because you don't know, you don't know what's in store, you know, down the road a few months as, as we see how, how rapidly things change this time around too. Yeah. And, and, uh, to an article, uh, Russ, on sportsology.com, uh, he did an interview with um, sports uh, agent, NHL agent Kurt Overhart, and regarding to CBA negotiations, and and he uh, he kind of indicated that they, they are moving in that direction. Um, he says they would have to protect a player, but Overhart suggested the NHL and the PA are, are going to have to figure out a way to move forward, basically, and and uh, get some labor peace out of this as well. So we'll see if that's a part of the uh, equation that comes out of this uh, this pandemic situation with the NHL, but. Uh, Things are looking like the uh, the NHL is going to get this thing back on the ice at some point. We still don't know when. It's been 51 days at uh, the airing of this podcast since we've had pro sports in the United States and in North America and pretty much worldwide at this point. Also, NASCAR is going to have their first race in, in two weeks' time coming up from this Sunday, albeit without fans. But sports are going to start to migrate and make their way back. We know the PGA is slated to come back in June as well. So we'll see how that all plays out. Bill, it's time to get into the player profile of Claude Giroux. It's one that I always enjoy doing. Um, you might have heard that I've kind of been on a soapbox of his uh, for a long time in my years on the radio and still continuing that today. Um, he's a guy that I feel like has always been underappreciated in this in his own town uh, by the, the, I don't want to say the majority, um, but maybe the more fringe hockey fans, if you will, or flyer fans, um, to not recognize exactly what they have in this player. Because when it's all when you break it all down and you really look at it, you know we know the decade of 2010 to 2020. Uh, he's at fourth in league scoring with 741 points, only behind Kane, Crosby, and Alexander Ovechkin, ahead of the likes of John Tavares, Evgeny Malkin, Steven Stamkos, Phil Kessel, Blake Wheeler, and Nick Backstrom, Andre Kopitar. I can go on and on. Um, but we also know that when he came into the league in 2008-2009, which is his rookie year, he played two games the season prior. Um, since that time, since the 2008 to this moment, he's seventh in the league in scoring with 815 points in 887 games. Uh, the player is still a, a guy that can take over games, and I, I just don't understand uh, the underappreciation of Claude Giroux by too many people, in my opinion, in the city of Philadelphia. Well, you're you're preaching to the choir here. I, I could not <laughs> agree more. So uh, we're we're gonna sound like an echo chamber here. But you know, I, I think you look at you look at Claude's career, where you know Claude has been a, a Hart Trophy finalist. Uh, two years ago, I thought he deserved to win to win the whole thing, and he finished fourth. But you know, there was no way the Flyers would have that that year had 98 points in the regular say, season, been a playoff team, been anywhere near the playoffs if Giroux hadn't had. He averaged two points a game down the stretch. I mean, he was just just unbelievable over those last final you know couple months of the season. I I know that people bring up the playoffs, and, and I I, I kind of say, well, bring it on because I'll be happy to defend his playoff record. His he was not great in the 2018 series against Pittsburgh, as was the rest of the team. Uh, 2016, Giroux was really not even healthy enough to be playing, but was playing. You know, um, Ghost was kind of in, in the same boat in that series too. He wasn't wasn't a healthy player. Um, you know, and did the best he could in those series. But before before those two series, 2016 and 2018, Giroux was you know heading into that time one of the Flyers' all-time leading playoff scorers. 
Look at what he did in the Stanley Cup Finals in in 2010, where he, he won you know he won Game Three in overtime, and he really as the playoffs went along. I mean, Danny Briere rightly got a ton of attention, but but Giroux really stepped to the forefront, and he wasn't you know he wasn't uh, at the top of the lineup yet on the team, but he was still racking up points and showing not just hints that that was really his coming out party was the 2010 playoffs. We can talk yeah. about the, the yeah we talk about 2012, you know, in that series against Pittsburgh where. You know, where where Lavi caught him the best player in the world. Well, no, I mean Crosby is the best player in the world, but at that particular time in that particular series, Drew absolutely was because he outplayed Crosby and Malkin in that series. I mean, he was just you know, he was unbelievable in that series. Not not just that one shift to, to open game six as huge as that was, you know, the big hit on Crosby scoring the goal and setting the tone to, to close out a series where, where Pittsburgh had entered the playoffs as pretty much unanimous favorites to win the cup and they go out in the first round to, you know, to the Flyers 2014 again against the Rangers seven game series Does that series go seven games if not and that Steve Mason of course was, was huge in that series too because that series goes seven games if not for Giroux stepping up every time the Flyers you know were fell down a game in that series because Giroux really stepped, stepped up in that series too so you know he's delivered in playoffs he's delivered in big games and you know people people will talk about oh well the Flyers haven't won a series since you know, since that 2012 series, and that is true. But for a number of years, when the Flyers were a bubble team, would they've even been a bubble team if not for Giroux and also a guy like Voracek as well? You know, I mean, the, the only reason why the Flyers even knocked on the door of the playoffs every year was that that leadership group that they had, and that was it. Should have been the prime of those guys' careers in a lot of senses. And you know, I, I understand the need for a rebuild, and, and that um, you know that there weren't enough pieces around them. To me, is the ultimate, you know, is really the ultimate explanation of that. But you know, I, I think when you look at his career, he's going to finish probably second to Bob Clark in, in points all time in franchise history. I I basically don't know what else people want except except a cup, and a, a cup is a team thing, not an individual thing. Yeah, and there's a lot of great players to play in the National Hockey League that never won a cup. There's a lot of great players to play in the yeah. NBA, which is even more individually. Um, the result is even more even affected individually than it is team-wise. Look, everybody that wears a jersey uh, for the team plays except a backup goalie most nights, right? <laughs> you know, um, in the NBA, they're not going 20 deep. Um, here's the fact of the matter, too. In 69 playoff games, he's, he averages .94 points per game. He's got 24 goals, 41 assists, and 65 points. Yet, I get it, they haven't won a series since then. And people will throw out the Bobby Abreu. Well, he got numbers on bad teams. Well, that's not the case. First of all, in baseball, there's no sport where it's easy to rack up numbers when there's meaningless games. And there's no sport that's got more meaningless games when your team's out of it in July. Uh, so that pressure's gone. And hockey does not work like that. Even in the years where they didn't make the playoffs, they were in a, in a position to uh, battle their way towards it towards pretty much the end of the season. I remember one of the years, probably like four years ago, when a deflected pluck by Brandon Manning against the Bruins ended their playoff hopes. <laughs> I remember that because he tried to knock down a shot and, a, and he redirected it by, I don't even know who the goalie was at that point. It might even be Steve Mason. Um, yeah, and the, <laughs> the Bruins, <laughs> Bruins were making an annual habit of that at that time. I remember there was the year where Simmons took that late penalty and the Bruins yep. scored and won in overtime. That was it was another year. They, yeah, they uh, that was uh, some, some unhappy memories. But the only reason, you know, the Flyers were, were even – in the running there, you know, where, were your few really top end guys they had, you know, they were, they were in a state of flux in, in other regards. Um, 
And uh, I mean, Giroux year in and year out would never, would never complain, would never gripe, would never publicly say, Hey, we need, we need more pieces around me. When, you know, when he was asked uh, to, to go and play wing and switch from center, I mean, you know, a lot of players who, who've been stars in the league and they, they have pride and they're the captain would, would bristle at it. And he said, whatever, whatever you think. And he, he embraced it right away. I mean, I think he, he's a team first guy. I have never heard a teammate on or off, you know, or even off the record, you know, ever say a bad thing about him as a teammate. That, that, yeah. um, you know, that how hard he works, how, how much he competes, how much he cares. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I, I really, I think he's been a, just a, a, a player that people don't, are, they're not going to appreciate what they have in him until, until he's gone. And hopefully he'll have some, you know, some team accolades to go with it by the time it's all said and done. In addition to, in addition to, as I said, he has a, has a real shot at finishing second to Clark in, in all-time points in franchise history. So yeah, and the and you're right. The other part that's the other thing that makes this so difficult with this team not uh, continuing the season as they were, and hopefully they will, uh, because this is a team that is built to do some damage for this year and the next couple of years. Certainly, at 31 years of age, Bill, he's got two years left on his contract after uh, this season. Uh, the 2021 season and the 21-22 season. Um, he's been in this deal since uh, 2014. It was a $66.2 million contract in eight years. Uh, it, at the at the conclusion of this deal, and Drew will be 33 at the conclusion, 31 now, uh, how do you kind of handle that? I mean, it, it, it's a tough ask to, to kind of figure that out that answer right now, uh, but this is a guy that you should never wear another jersey. Yeah, I, I would love to see Claude finish his career in Philadelphia, play, play his entire career here. I, I think he's got a, a real shot at doing that. If uh, you know, if, if it if it comes to that point in, in a couple of years where you know he might have to take a, a little bit of a hometown discount to be able to do that, I, I think he would seriously think about doing that. I really do. I, I think it is important to him to you know play his career here. Um, you know, obviously he's still going to have to be at a, a certain level of productivity, and, and I think he will be. You know, even even this year, you know, his points are down this year compared to where they've been in, in some previous years. But I think he's had a really strong season in terms of being an all-around player, setting an example and, and buy-in for, you know, the way that Vino wants the team to play. I mean, he's a guy that he's a guy that the teammates look to to you know to to do that to lead by example. And I think he he's done a tremendous job in that. It's not it's not only about the points with him. Yeah, and it's the points have been big points, it seems like, this year more yeah. as well, which leads me to believe that if they are to get in the playoffs, um, he could be a player that could be uh, poised for a monster postseason. And he's had a real good second half of this year in 69 games, 21 goals, 32 assists, 53 points. Uh, the year prior, uh, 85 points last year in 82 games, and then uh, the one you referred to where – uh, he was uh, a Hart Trophy finalist in 82 games, 68 points. The other part about Claude Drew that's amazing to me, Bill, the guy just doesn't miss many games. I mean, I look back at, you know, all the way back here as far as 2082, 77, played all 48 in the 48, 82, 81, 78, 82, 82, 82, and all 69 this year. Uh, for a player that uh, is not the biggest guy on the ice, he has an amazing ability of, because of his hockey IQ to protect himself and not put himself in perilous situations. No, for sure, and um, he's, you know, I, and he has a he has a pretty high pain threshold too. He, he's he's played through, you know, he's had he's had more than bumps and bruises along the way, and he never uses it as an excuse. You never even know. You never even know he's hurting. But whenever there's exit day is when he'll finally admit that yeah, maybe he wasn't 
you know, a hundred percent, but he'll, he'll never, he'll never tell you otherwise. So, you know, yeah. he will he'll play through just about anything. Yeah, it really is amazing. Now, 13 years with the Flyers, 889 games, 815 points, and a plus 43 as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. Leads the league in face-off percentage uh, annually. Uh, tremendous player, and uh, ho- hopefully people recognize um, not that, that he was a good player in the city, but the greatness for which he has achieved as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's a tremendous player, a good man as well, now a father, and um uh, hopefully he can get back on the ice and culminate this season. I know he would love to have that team success. He doesn't care about all the accolades. Uh, he wants to have that team success and bring a championship to this city, and we'll see if they get the opportunity to do that this year. That's going to put a wrap on the player profile of Claude Giroux and a wrap on this Friday episode of Flyers Daily. Another week of player profiles coming up next week, and here's who we got for you. Brian Elliott on Monday, Ivan Provorov, the aforementioned, and the newest edition, or the big edition of the offseason. Kevin Hayes will be our player profile next Friday. Bill, thanks for doing this. Stay healthy, and we'll talk soon. I'm in the sky too.